dharmaseedtapelibrary.org. You go there, and every talk that any teacher in this tradition has given in the last 25 or 30 years is available there. You can look up talks by teacher, by subject, by what, by date, and they're free. And you can download them into your iPod, you can listen to them streaming. It's a great, great thing. People listen to them all over the world. You tell me when we're on. Uh, we're on. We're on. Later too. So then I, I want to do one more thing before I say something. No, no, I'm saying something now. Uh, how many of us have never met before? Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so pleased that you came. Thank you very much. My name is Sylvia. How many of us know each other a long time? Okay, know each other a little. Okay. How many people have done mindfulness meditation before? How many people have not? How many people have done loving kindness practice before? How many people have not? That's great. Perfect. Uh, my plan for today, uh, when I thought about, uh, when I heard that there was a day available, it's very rare that this up, upper hall is available for a day long. It's beautiful, isn't it? How many people have never been in this hall before? Isn't it fabulous? Do you know, the first, when it was getting built, we of course had seen the pictures on the architect's drawings before, and we saw the shape go up. And at one point, the roof went in, and this tremendous vaulted ceiling went in. And I came up uh, just after that with a few of my colleagues, and we walked into it for the first time, and we looked up at that. We looked at each other, and we said, wow, do we, are we smart enough to teach in here? You know, this is a really... A, a, and we, but we decided too late. <laughs> if we aren't, we're going to have to rise to the occasion. And it's been 10 years, and we're probably getting better all the time. So this is really inspiring. So then I, I had a phone call six or eight months ago that said, uh, you know, the, the two-month retreat is ending on a Saturday. There were people here for 60 days until yesterday, some of them for 30 days, some of them just for March, some of them for February and March. It's a long time, and they just left yesterday, so this room should be very warm, full of, full of good energy. So they said, so the room is free on Sunday, and you can have it all day for a day long if you want. I said, yes, I do. And they said, well, what do you want to teach? I said, well, I'll teach the whole thing, the whole thing that the Buddha taught. <laughs> Because I, I'm thrilled with the idea that we have this whole day. I'm also particularly pleased because just a few years ago, I have been teaching uh, loving-kindness meditation for a long time. But just a few years ago, I realized that the Buddha's sermon on kindness, the, the metta sutta, the, the teaching in which he gives the instructions, the mandate, not the instructions so much, but the mandate, for developing loving kindness, actually for freedom, for liberation, is really the instructions for the whole of the Buddha's path. That when you read a textbook on what the Buddha taught, it says the Buddha the Buddha's path has three parts to it. Do you know what they are? Those three parts? The three parts are Sila Samadhi Panya, 
the development of ethical behavior, the really the refinement of virtue, uh, the development of mental discipline, and the cultivation of wisdom, sila samaripanya. And um, what we teach mostly while people are here, when people come here, especially on retreat, is they work on the development of mental discipline, the ability to keep the mind focused and steady and balanced and alert. But all the time they, they're making their own discoveries and having their own insights, so they're developing wisdom as they do it. And we do a certain amount of didactic teaching, and we tell about what the Buddha said about wisdom. So uh, the other day I said to a group of people that I was teaching, I said, listen, listening to a Dharma talk is also a meditation because you're present and you're alert and you're concentrating and it's going through all of the information that you already have in there and it's uh, either enhancing it or not. So uh, that's wisdom cultivation. It's also a meditation. And we also, when we're here, we talk a lot about the development of ethics. We live in a in uh, a community of um, of such moral integrity, I think people feel good here because uh, we begin by talking about moral integrity, and we talk about uh, just as before. Somebody said, uh, "I assume this zafu is taken because it had a paper on top of it," and so we said, "Yes, it must be taken." Somebody left a paper, no name, nothing that people's places are so sacrosanct once they move in here. We have no locks on any of the doors. By the way, if you haven't ever been here before or you haven't been on retreat, feel free to look in the residence halls today. They're beautiful, so you might want to see what they look like in case you come ever on retreat. They have no locks on the doors. Nothing has ever been taken in all the years that we've been here. Nothing is ever missing it's amazing to live in a place where people have all taken vows of moral integrity. It feels good. It feels safe. It feels good. We like to think, my friend Sally, who lives across the road, uh, probably many of you have studied with Sally. My friend Sally says that the deer that live in Woodacre are different than the deer that live here at Spirit Rock across the road. We have 10 generations now, because we've been up here with this building 11 years now, of 11 generations of deer who have never heard a voice be raised, who have never met any kind of hurried or impetuous or mean-spirited behavior. And our deer, if you notice them today out there, are extremely mild-mannered. They graze like cows. You can go right by them. They don't startle. We have relaxed deer. And, and Sally lives across the highway in Woodacre. She says if she opens her door, the deer all scamper, they jump over the fences, they leave immediately. Our deer do not leave. They're, they're used to our vibe. So I think it's the morality aspect. So I like to teach about morality, and I like to teach concentration, and I like to talk about the Buddha's wisdom, and I wanted so much to have the whole day to do it, and now we have the whole day to do it. And um, I have one more thing to say, and then we're going to do something all together. Uh, Just yesterday I was uh, talking to the people putting together all the... uh, uh, (coughs) 
the administrative stuff for today. And a number of people are uh, going to get continuing education units for being here. Who's getting continuing education units? Oh, I'm so pleased about that. Do you know what, want to know what's wonderful? I get continuing education units as well. Isn't that weird? Uh, but, uh, I, but, you know, I get better all the time, so it's good for me, and it makes sense. Uh, continuing education credits are credits for psychologists and social workers and physicians and nurses who need to uh, do things to keep up their license. And we needed to submit what uh, what the learning objectives were for this. And the person yesterday said, I have three of them, and you need to make up a fourth. And the three that she had was people in this workshop will learn basic Buddhist psychology, people in this workshop will learn techniques for concentrating and settling the mind. People in this workshop will learn mindfulness for ways of seeing clearly the really what's true in any situation and being able to make a wise and relaxed and thoughtful uh, response to every situation. So I need a fourth one. I said people are going to uh, experience the truth of... Well, I didn't say it this long. I said, people are going to discover that these practices lead to a warm and cordial and open heart, and that in all therapeutic situations, I would also say in all situations, a warm and cordial and friendly mind and heart is what makes it work. We didn't put it all, we didn't say all situations. We said in all therapeutic situations depend on a warm and cordial and a mutually felt bond of kindness and affection. I think it's true in families. I think it's true in communities. We depend on love, really, to make anything work. And that this is what, that's really what this is about. I think we're almost all here. I'd like to start with a three-minute, five-minute, we've got the whole day, we've got the whole day. <laughs> A five-minute meditation. We'll do meditations all through the days, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, all through the day. I'd like us to do a five-minute meditation. And I'd like to propose that you... I'll, I'll, I'll give you some instructions in a minute to relax your body and to sit here. And then I'll say, now we'll say two phrases to ourselves. We'll say one phrase on one breath, and another phrase on the next breath, and the first phrase on the next breath, and the next phrase on the other breath. And even if you want to, you can say a phrase and take a breath, and another breath, and say another phrase, and take a breath, and another breath. It doesn't have to be one breath, one phrase. Do it the way it works for you. They're two slightly different phrases, And I think they'll feel slightly different. So I'd like you to invite I'd like to invite you to sit in a way that's comfortable for you. If you want to, you can close your eyes. It's all right to keep your eyes open. It's always good to keep your eyes open if you're sleepy. But up in this beautiful room, if you have a view out the window, 
can just keep your eyes open and be looking out the window. Whichever works for you to feel your body more closely. Let your shoulders relax. In fact, some of you have come a long way this morning. I'm thinking maybe more than five minutes. Maybe seven. As you sit, feel the breath come and go out of your body entirely on its own. You don't need to do anything about it. The breath is reasonably rhythmic, so we use it a lot to focus attention. They're not all the same, but more or less. And they're predictable. The two phrases are intention phrases. I hope that they'll be intention phrases for these minutes and really for the whole day. The two phrases are these. May I meet this moment fully and may I meet it as a friend. May I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. Say them at whatever rhythm you'd like.
Do you feel different than you did seven minutes ago? What do you feel? Calmer? Quieter? Quieter. Settled? Settled. Focused? Focused. More More aware of your body. Did you notice any difference between the phrases as you said them? What did you notice? Kim? Warmer was friendly. Warmer was friendly. I'm sure you make this kind of opening. Yeah, warmer was friendly. What else? Did you like saying phrases? You know, I think about that. uh, I use those phrases quite a lot. Uh, Not so much as a formal meditation, but... um, Maybe if I'm standing in a line in a supermarket and it's going too slowly. <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> I should have used it the other day. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to say this so early. I was going to tell you the story of, of traveling home. I was in San Diego. It's not a far distance to fly. I was in San Diego. I was having a good time. I was teaching. I was having a good time. And I was coming home. And... Uh, just the flying is so hard now with take off everything and put you know and put it all in those boxes in those bins and send them through the machine. So I do all that and I, my stuff is going through the machine and I only have carry on and not that much. And here I'm waiting on the other side and putting on my clothes back and putting on my shoes. And here comes my bag through the machine. And one of the TSA people picks up my bag and says. I have to put it through the machine again. And my mind says, ah, I have to put it through the machine again. Probably they saw that I didn't put all my gels and creams in one Ziploc. Or, uh, probably now they're going to have to open it up and look in it. And Okay, so they bring it around. It's coming around again. I wasn't thinking the kindest thoughts in the world. <laughs> and here comes my bag again slowly. And here comes that same TSA worker, and she picks up my bag and walks with it. You know how they take it over to the table where they're going to now open it and look through it? So she picks up my bag, and I think, ah. And she doesn't carry it to the table. She carries it over to the seat where you sit down and put on the shoes. And she says, I thought I'd carry it over for you and make it easier for you. And ah. So... To tell my mind, you made a mistake. You got aggravated too fast. Look, this is really a lovely moment of kindness. And it was probably, you know, sometimes my mind has lovely moments of kindness. The other story I was going to tell you in that same trip, that very morning, actually, I had gone, I was also feeling very good and about to teach and happy about it. And I went to the Starbucks in the hotel that we were staying at to uh, get something before I started. And I ordered a, uh, a, a coffee and a bagel. And I, here came the coffee and the bagel, and here I'm signing my, my uh, bill for it. And I see it's $11.25. And I think that's a lot of money for a coffee and a bagel. I mean, we have inflation, but still, even it's a hotel, it's a lot of money for a coffee and a bagel. 
But I realized it, it struck me as funny. This is ridiculous. So much money for. But my mind was in a light mood, you know, because I was happy. This was different from going through the taking off the clothes and going through the machine, which is tenser. I'm going to make a point with all this. Here comes. So I say, you know, this is eleven dollars and twenty-five cents for the bagel. She said, "Oh, that's a mistake. I pushed something twice. I don't know how to undo it. I can't undo it without my manager, who has a key." And the manager isn't here now. Uh, would you like to wait? I said, well, I can't wait. You know, I have to, I'm supposed to be teaching right away. And they said, well, would you like some more stuff? You know? <laughs> so uh, you want fruit salad or something? So I said, actually, I worked it out. I said, you keep this here. I'll come back later. I came back later. The manager was there. It worked out. But the whole thing was funny. And I realized that it's not the circumstance that happens. It's the mind that meets the circumstance. That's always true. You know, and those are the most mundane examples in the whole world. Maybe not the most, but they're pretty mundane. But I'm so aware in any situation that if I say that was so aggravating to me, it wasn't aggravating to me. I allowed my mind, for whatever reason, to become aggravated by whatever situation. The... (laughs) There was, there, a man named Art George once told me a story. I met him in a set of circumstances uh, that was interesting. Somebody I knew got a traffic ticket for speeding and went to traffic school here in Marin and came back and said, the traffic school teacher is a mindfulness teacher. So I said, okay, I'd be interested in meeting him. So I phoned him up. His name was Art George, and we met to have coffee and uh, I said, uh, my friend took your course, said you're a mindfulness teacher. He said, oh, I probably told him this story. I said, uh, and then he told me the story that he tells to his class, and this is a story. He says, our office is in, San Di- is in Sausalito. I live there. And I was driving to Antioch for a meeting, and all of a sudden the highway was all clogged up. It was the middle of the morning. It shouldn't have been clogged up. The traffic, the the Business traffic is gone by then. And I was stuck. And I was starting to get worried that I wasn't going to get to my meeting in time. And the traffic wasn't moving. And what's more, when it moved a little bit, I saw that there were people on the side roads coming into the highway who were kind of taking cuts. They were moving into the highway ahead of the people already in the highway progressing forward. So now I'm annoyed at the highway and the people on it and also for these people who are coming in ahead of me. And I'm really worried about I'm going to get to my meeting, not on time. And he said, I realized I was gripping my steering wheel. And I looked around. I looked to my left and I saw Mount Tamalpais. It was a beautiful day. I looked to my right and I saw Richardson Bay. And I said to myself, people come from all over the world to see Mount Tamalpais and Richardson Bay. I have a perfect view of the two of them at the same time, and I'm missing it. He said, so, he said in that moment, I laughed at myself. I could just sit here and look at the view. And he said, when I laughed at myself and I looked at the view, my mind relaxed, and I realized that I'll get to Antioch when I get to Antioch. That's the big wisdom. The wisdom usually is, is it is what it is, and I'll get there when I get there. And maybe I'll get there today, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll get there tomorrow, maybe I'll be late, maybe I won't, maybe it won't make a difference. But the wisdom is, stewing about it won't get me any faster to Antioch. It'll just make my mind all flurried.
I said, that's a great story. I'm going to teach with it. He said, that's not the whole story. (laughs) He said, when the traffic finally started to move, I realized that I was in a good mood and I was relaxed and I drove carefully and I was appreciative of the other drivers that didn't cause me to be in an accident. And I thought about them and I wished them well and I came to Antioch in a good shape. He said, you never know. But that, that kind of learning of wisdom, sometimes I think uh, uh, my best teachers are teachers that I meet in very ordinary ways who tell me about how they've figured things out. I'll get there when I get there. That's always true. And why is it me who's stuck? Why not me who's stuck at any time? You never know. I always think when I... You probably have this thought, too. You come to an accident that's happened on the freeway somewhere. First of all, the freeway all of a sudden gets crowded. And you think, hmm, I'm going to be late for something. Too many people on this freeway. And then by and by you realize that there's police and ambulances, and then you say, "Uh uh-oh, there's got to be an an accident here. And you feel bad, don't you? You really, you actually feel bad about having had the thought about, hmm, don't you? Feel a little bit, oh dear, somebody's in trouble. And then sometimes when you go by an accident that's just happened, I thought, oh, you know, the police aren't quite there yet and the ambulances. I think to myself, wow, if I would have been here five minutes before, I could have been in this accident. Do you think that sometimes? And then I realized recently that every day that I come home from anywhere intact, I realized that I missed by five minutes or ten minutes or five miles or twenty miles or fifty miles or a hundred miles every other accident that happened in the world that day, that when we come home at the end of the day in one piece, it's a miracle. All the accidents that happened didn't happen around us, you know. If my mind was in a good shape, I would actually come home thrilled and grateful every day in a really cordial mood that nothing had happened, because it could, all the time. The idea of keeping one's mind in a buoyant shape I would have said a different thing about teaching Buddhism 20 years ago, 25, whenever it was that I started. I talked more about um, uh, cultivating a kind of mind that could manage stress so that it didn't suffer so much. And I still talk about that. Really what the Buddha taught fundamentally is that the cause of suffering, really the definition of suffering, is tension in the mind when it can't accept its circumstances. That's really the second and the third noble truth. Tension in the mind when it can't accept its circumstances, but it sometimes can. That's the Art George story. Tension in the mind, I'm going to be late? Well, I'll just look around at the scenery. What I think I'm teaching more these days is those same four noble truths, that suffering is tension in the mind when it can't accept its circumstance. Also, I teach along with it um, because my sense is that there's a lot we can do about keeping the, more, the mind buoyant and cheerful and open and in a better shape to accept and meet the circumstances so that tension doesn't arise quite so much. Not so much as an antidote, but as a preventative of suffering in the world. It's both, actually. I look around and I see uh, when my mind is not preoccupied, 
how much suffering there is in the world. Not only the suffering of, of extra inflicted pain, like there are the wars and the conflicts and the, and the hunger and the poverty that's in the world, but the suffering that's in everybody's mind who can't deal with circumstances because they're overwhelming. When I see that, my heart is really moved about it. When my heart is moved, I feel good towards people. I think to myself, people are amazing. Somebody asked me recently if I had, you know, since, since people have been uh, texting, you know, let's have a revolution, now's the time. Really revolutionary things have been happening because people have been sending really stirring and inspiring messages to other people. And somebody asked me in an interview, they said, what would you say if you could send one short text to the whole world? And I, would say, I said, I would say this. I would say that uh, life is challenging. Regardless of circumstances, life is challenging for everyone. And that we need always to deal with the difficulty at hand, all of us. And people are amazing. People are heroic. They, raise, they rise to meet the challenge. They rise to do it with friendliness and kindness to others. And that peace is really possible in people's minds, in my mind and everyone's minds. Regardless of the circumstances, we could be peaceful people in peaceful families, in people's peaceful communities, in a peaceful world. That's what I think. Then I think everybody would change and stop. That would be the message that I'd send. That's actually what we teach here at Spirit Rock. Not only that life is difficult, but that people are amazing and that they can meet their circumstances with grace and with kindness. My husband said to me, he says to me every couple of years, maybe he forgets from time to time that he says, he says, well, have you changed? So I think he's just making conversation, actually. <laughs> he says, how have you changed in all these 35 years of practice? Don't you love them, by the way? <laughs> if we didn't have them, we'd have to bring them in because they'd keep, especially, not so much in the winter, I'm so happy to hear them back because they lighten everybody's mind. They're so ridiculous. <laughs> it says, how have you changed with all these years of practice? What happened to you? And Because you seem the same. My friends think I'm the same. I, my personality is much the same. I say I got kinder. And he says, you're always kind. I said, I know. But I was kind. I am kinder because I am more aware of my own challenges and everybody else's challenges. I'm more alert to it. I am more aware of the pleasure involved in my being available to myself in a kind way and other people in a kind way. I love it that the Dalai Lama says my religion is kindness. I think it's everybody's religion, actually. That when we are involved in kind connection with ourselves and everyone else, we're the best. I think I would like for us to read together the Metta Sutta, as we said, said in the, in the uh, program for today, that we were going to use this as our text. I love this. It's really the only thing that I carry with me 
when I go places to teach. If you don't have one, get one. Everybody has one? I'll tell you as a kind of a full disclosure that when I first read this um, a long time ago, I found it very poetic and very thrilling because it, the message, is, the mandate is marvelous. Um, wishing, omitting none, you'll come to the phrase, omitting one, omitting none, wishing may all beings be at ease. You know, a lot of people, when I introduce the idea of loving-kindness meditation, which is based on this, people will say, you know, I love all beings everywhere, but not my (laughs) brother-in-law. Because what he said or did, I can never forgive him for. Uh, I'm glad you laughed, but it's sad, isn't it? I once said to a friend of mine, so now I have to tell you another story, then we'll read this. I once said to a friend of mine, uh, it, was, it was in those ten days of the year between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur where you're supposed to reflect on if you have any animosities or negativities or grudges left in your heart. And she said, do you have anybody who you couldn't really wish well with a whole heart? And I said, because the person who was asking was a very close friend of mine, I said, well... As a matter of fact, I have one person. And I told her the story of someone who some serious number of years previously had uh, written me a letter in which he was a a semi-colleague. He's not one of my teaching colleagues here, but he's someone in an allied field and someone that I had known and befriended and we were friends and we met together. We'd have lunch together together. we were interested in each other's lives and teaching. And at one particular point, he wrote me a letter and uh, said some fairly negative things about me in the letter. He told me what he thought about me in sort of no uncertain terms. And it was just a letter, and it wasn't a public announcement. But I was so wounded by it. I was so wounded by it. My mind became so inflamed. It took a long time for it to settle down from that inflammatory state and every time I thought about him in the letter I would think how could he have said that about me my mind would become inflamed again and over the years I didn't say anything to anyone about it first of all it was too embarrassing I'd have to say what he said about me and I didn't say anything to him either I'd meet him different places because our paths crossed professionally from time to time. We'd be on the same program together. And I certainly said hello, and he said hello, but we didn't have anything else to do with each other. So some several years passed, and then my friend asked me, is there anyone on your list that you can't fully, wholeheartedly? As a matter of fact, and I told her this story, and I got all finished with my story. I don't like to be gossiping about some of it, but I told her, and I said, Whatever. I got all finished, and she said, well, really, Sylvia, if you have one person in the whole world who's standing between you having a completely open heart or not, don't you think you could get over it? (laughs) So, you know, I took that quite seriously. 
And I thought about it, but you know, it didn't just fall away out of my mind because it was a good idea. It didn't just, but I had it in my mind. And sometime subsequent to that, I was driving to a place where I knew that um, I, there was some program here in the county, and I was going to be a speaker, and I knew that this person would be a speaker there, so I would meet him there again. And I was driving there, and my mind was in a particularly relaxed mood, and I thought about, well, so-and-so is going to be there. And then I thought to myself, so-and-so, he said, who said, that, and usually my mind would say, how could he have said that about me and become all conf- inflamed again? So I'm driving along and I think, how could he have said that to me? And then I thought to myself, he said it about me because it's true. I was quite surprised. <laughs> Riding along. But my mind was relaxed enough to realize in that moment that what he had said about me in that set of circumstances was actually true. And the huge effort that I had made not to like him, not to forgive him in all those years, is as long as I had this wall of anger up against him, I didn't have to look at the fact that what he said about me was true. I was quite startled. I arrived at the place... And I said hello to him in a way that must have been honestly cordial. I said, hello, I'm glad to see you. And he said, I'm glad to see you too. And I taught, and he taught, and several other people taught. And at the end of the evening, he said, do you want to have lunch together? And I said, yes, I do. And we had lunch together, and a month later we had lunch together, and a month later we had lunch together. We talked about our lives and our families and our thinking and our teaching. And then finally, at one point, I said, you know, Maybe we better talk about all that time we didn't talk about to each other. And I said, you know, when you sent me that letter, and I said more or less what I said to you, I read the letter in my mind, became inflamed, and I, all, every time I thought about it, I thought, how could he have said that about me? How could he have said that about me? Uh, and I brought the letter up to date, and I said, tonight I was writing here, and I thought to myself, how could you have said it to me? And then I thought, He said it because it's true. And he said, no, it's not. (laughs) He said, said, on that particular occasion, I got carried away because it seemed to me on that occasion that that was true. He said, but you know what was true for me? I was so mortified about the fact that I wrote you that letter so peremptorily. He said, many times in my life, I have said something just way too fast without thinking about it and really ruined relationships that I was in. And I was so embarrassed and so humiliated about doing it, anything about it, I didn't get in touch with you all this time. And so we became friends again. And when I tell that story to people, they sometimes say, you know, the two of you are in the business of alert and open mind, clear and nonviolent communication, It had to take you so long to get over it. And the thing is, it did. With all the skills in clear communication. I met a man last week who uh, I was teaching with, who was teaching about uh, feeling the pain in the mind pursuant to some sort of trauma. That wasn't a trauma, that's a physical trauma, but it's a mental trauma. He said, feeling the pain in one's mind he said, it's there till it's not there anymore. And I thought that was a very, really astute thing for him to say. 
there till it's not there anymore. And you think about it, and you work on it, and you look at it, and you pray for it to go away. And then at some moment, the mind relaxes, and you see what's true, and then it's gone. And it just took a long time. So back to the Metta Sutta. When I first read it years and years ago, I was very thrilled by the message that says, wish for, it doesn't say like everybody, by the way. It doesn't say like everybody. It certainly doesn't say condone everything that everybody is doing. It says, wish without hesitation for all beings, may they be at ease, may they be well. That's all. It's the instruction to not have negativity arise in the mind. It's a brilliant instruction. If you think to yourself, I, I knew a woman, I didn't know her personally, but I knew she was a Zen teacher, and she died not long ago. And uh, she is said to have said as she was dying, thank you very much, I have no complaints. <laughs> and I love that. I would like not only to die saying that, I would like to live saying that. You know, they used to have in the department store, you'd have a complaint department. <laughs> I mean, you could go ask for something that you need, but not to complain. Complain is a certain kind of a word. Thank you very much. I have no complaints. That means it is what it is. That's it. So when I first read this, I thought, well, it's a very nice mandate to wish well to all beings. But it doesn't give you the instructions for how to do that, is what I thought. It just says, do it, like the Nike ad. Just do it. And I was sort of a cavalier, I must say, dismissal on my part of this really venerable teaching on the part of the Buddha. And some years ago, I realized that not only was it cavalier, it was incorrect. And not only was I incorrect, I thought when I read it through, I thought, that's very nice, wish well to all beings, but how should I do it? It doesn't say how. And the truth is, it does say how. Every line of it says how. So as we read it together, we'll work with it during the day. I'd like you to think about the fact that every line of this really is saying another permutation of how. So let's read it together. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened by booties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease, Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will 
wish harm upon another. Just as a mother would give her girl her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spiraling upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. I see a lot of people are smiling. Do you like that? I love it. What is your favorite line? Look again and see. They're all my favorite lines. So, what is your favorite line? Yes. May all beings be at ease. What's your name? Brian. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Free from drowsiness. Free from drowsiness. What's your name? What's my name? Yes. Adrian. Thank you. Awake, right? Awake. I'm going to tell you a little story. We'll remember that. Awake. I'll tell you an awake story right away. What else do you like? So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. What's your name? Simone. Simone. Thank you. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. What's your name? Mark, you know what? I like also, sometimes when I'm reading it myself or I'm reading it to a group, I sometimes say, just as a parent would give his or her life. Because, um, there you go. Thank you, Mark. Who else back there? Yes, yes. Straightforward and gentle in speech. There you go. Who said that? Alan, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds very good to me. What's your name? How many people here think that they are burdened with duties? <laughs> um, you know what? I actually th- I thought it over recently, thinking about that particular line, and I thought I have to put the emphasis on the unburdened because the duties are not going to go away. So somehow it'll be having duties and not, not be burdened by them is what I have to figure out. What else do you like? What other, there you go. Um, where you see it here? Um, by not holding to fixed views. By not holding to fixed views. What's your name? <laughs> Therese. Therese, I love that. I, I actually think that's a very, very, they're all very, very pivotal. But this, how many people here think they have fixed views? <laughs> You know what a fixed view is? It has to be this way. How many people... Oh, you know what's a fixed view? This shouldn't be happening. You know, this shouldn't be happening. shouldn't be wars in the world. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be politicians who can get away with saying so many things that aren't true. We should have lie, we should have lie detectors on every public figure when they stand up and make a speech that bells and whistles should go off as soon as they say a non-truth. It should be that way. It's not that way, you know? The fixed views is what inflames the mind. Yeah. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be at ease. What's your name? Lonnie. Lonnie, thank you. Yeah. 
radiating kindness over the entire world. What's your name? Neva. Neva, thank you very much. Yeah. Free from hatred and ill will. Free from hatred and ill will. If I had, if I told you that in this um, glass was an herb that dissolved, and you can't see it, but it's a magic herb, and anybody who takes a sip of this is freed from hatred and ill will because they forget every grudge they ever had, who would take a sip out of this glass? <laughs> you know, sometimes people put up their hand and say, no, I'm not having a sip of that. I wouldn't be me. I actually think I'd be me, but I'd be better. Uh, okay, what else did you like? Yeah. Humble and not conceited. What's your name? Harry. Harry? Harry, what do you think? Like, like have, um, did a particular example come to mind? But I think it's a good line. What, what, it, uh, you know, because I'm thinking it's like um, it goes with uh, not conceited, goes with not clinging to fixed views, because it's a certain inhumility, it's a certain hubris to think that my view is right. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think that my view is a view. I think the other person has a view. I think I have the truth. <laughs> That's the problem. My view is not a view. My view is how things are. What else? You like another line? Yeah. Contented and easily satisfied. Contented and easily satisfied. I can't see who. What's your name? Lynn. Lynn. Lynn, contented and easily satisfied. Do you know, I don't remember whether it's... Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, who? Where does this verse come from? It's a song verse. Search the world over, there's one thing you'll find. There's nothing more rare than a satisfied mind. Is that? It's either a Christian gospel or Grateful Dead, but I'm not sure. <laughs> does anybody know? There's nothing more rare than a satisfied mind. You don't. It's it's what somebody knows. I don't know, but it's one of them. But yeah, there's a, there's nothing more rare than a satisfied mind. I actually think about that a lot. Think about it a minute. Like right now, are you pretty happy? Mind satisfied? Can you think of anything? that could make your mind more satisfied now? Any little thing. Room warmer, warm color. The warm little room a little warmer. Um, Better seat. (laughs) Better view. More enlightened. (laughs) More enlightened. Hmm? Chocolate. You know, I think there's no end to the mind. This is a very important point. We'll pause a little bit for a little. <laughs> this, is, this is serious dharma. It's all serious dharma because there's always something that the mind could think about that could make something a little better. Even, uh, you know, the toppings on ice cream. I could have one more. Uh, I realized... Uh, what did I realize? I was making a list of wants. Uh, 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 this is, I, I can tell you what day it was because it was the day after the uh, Academy Awards. 
and I was I was I was actually thinking about how easy it is to want something, you know. I said, and and the difference between a want and a need. A want, you know, uh, I want that to be uh, uh, peace on earth. I want the wars in all the places that they're happening to stop. Uh, now on, but on my same list with I want the wars in all the world to stop. I wanted Jeffrey Rush to win the best sporting actor, you know. So, but because wants are endless, you know, and um, I wanted my uh, granddaughter to be finished with worrying about which college was going to accept her. I mean, all kinds of personal and impersonal and global wants. And I realize that there's a difference in my mind when I think about something that I want, or something that I hope will happen or had happened. And the imperative in the mind that says, I can't relax because it's not my way. And really, the word that I like to use most in teaching the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is craving, which is the normal way that it's translated. Uh, I think suffering is craving, but I don't even... Craving is a funny word. We don't use that so much except with uh, addictions, but it, it... uh, and mostly with drug addictions, but any imperative in the mind is making the mind uncomfortable. It has to be different now. That's, that's, it's imperative. It's not wanting. I remember when I first started to think about what the Buddha taught and you know, relinquishing all desires, I thought, well, I don't know about this path of relinquishing desires. I have plenty of things that I want, not only peace on earth, but really uh, good things for my grandchildren, good things for my children, good things for myself. Plenty of things that I want and I hope for and that I'm actively engaged in hoping to bring about. What makes it different is imperative. The ability to be able to say, it's not like that. I always do this, but I notice that I always do that. When I, um, you know Why? Because I learned that, uh, I want us to sit before we go out. It's a beautiful day, we should do walking meditation. I'll tell you two stories and then we'll go out. I learned this gesture by uh, being with Ajahn Sumedho. Ajahn Sumedho is the, uh, he's now the, the retired abbot of uh, Amaravati Monastery outside of London. And he taught in this very room. He was sitting here, and I was amongst the people sitting out there. It was a teacher retreat some five or six years ago. And Ajahn Sumedho, when he teaches, you may have gone to an Ajahn Sumedho retreat, he doesn't sit and give instructions and say, ready, set, go, everybody meditate. He sits up in front, and he talks as he is meditating. So he's giving the instructions of what's happening in his body and let this relax and notice this and notice that. So he kind of brings you along with him. And he has a lovely way of just talking his experience out into the room. And at one point where he uh, was taking a question and answer period, someone said to him something about what he did with uh, disturbing energies in his mind. Um, because you always want to know what's people's way of working. Because in everybody, anger arises. Someone reminded me the other day of um, uh, the Dalai Lama. I, I was in Irvine the night before the Dalai Lama, who was a, a 
giving a speech there, was named the Nobel Laureate for that year. It was 1989. And the night before that announcement, he gave a talk in the Irvine Auditorium. There were a 1,000 people there. 6,000 people, a big auditorium. And he was sitting on, a, on a, an armchair, like a, a, just a regular armchair, in the middle of the stage alone, and people were asking questions, and he talked. People would come up to microphones and ask questions, and somebody came up to the microphone and said, um, after many questions, they said, uh, do you ever get angry? And first of all, he laughed his little laugh. Ha! He has a little laugh like that. He said, ha! Of course. He said, things happen. They aren't what you expect. Anger arises. <laughs> little, it's a very distinctive ha ha ha. I'm doing so well. Uh, but you, don't, you do know that little ha ha that he has. And anger arises, and then he says, ha But it's not a problem. So you can see right away that it arises, and you do something about it, but you don't flame it up or capitalize. You say, oh, anger arose. What should I do? So they asked Ajahn Sumedho that same question, what do you do with afflictive emotions? And he says, things go wrong in my monastery, things aren't happening between people. He said, and I notice that uh, I'm really getting, my mind is getting tied up about it, and I can't really resolve it in my mind. And then I say to myself, well, it's like this. And then I feel better. So clearly, what he's saying is, I didn't fix the situation, I fixed my mind. My mind is like this, and then I tell myself the truth. It's like this. There's conflict in my monastery. There's conflict even with me. It's not saying he's not going to do something about it later, but there doesn't have to be attention about it. That's what's going on. So he said that. He said, I say to myself, it's like this about what's ever happening, and then I'm all right. And I was so touched by it. It was like a direct communication, like sometimes people say, I got a transmission from somebody. So I felt I had a transmission. And uh, so then I went around for a year or two, or three, until I saw him again, and wherever I was teaching, it would come up, just like this morning, the story of Ajahn Sumedho, and the, it's like this. And I would tell the story, and I would make that little gesture. And then I met him again at another conference. I think it was back here. And we were all sitting together in the council house and talking. And I said, you know, I really want to thank you for that teaching three years ago that when you said, uh, and I told the whole story again, when you said this and that, and, and then you said that, you know, I feel better, when I all of a sudden I realize it's like this, and then I'm okay. And I said, I've been teaching that all over the world, and I do that gesture, it was so meaningful to me. And he said, I said that? <laughs> he said, I did that? I think he did. But if he did or he didn't, I think he did. And I taught it all over the place, and people get it. So I think that's how things happen. How did I get to Ajahn Sumedho? We were going to do something on the way to that. Uh, The ability to let go. Oh, I know, there was one. Contented and easily satisfied. To be able to let go of what arises in the mind as an imperative. And to say, oh, that's a hope I have. But 
Either I'll have it or I won't. But or not now. Or later I'll have it. I think to myself that patience, which is actually on the list of virtues as separate from wisdom, is the same as wisdom. That patience is the ability to say, it's not happening now. I wish it were, but it's not happening now. Maybe it'll happen till later. Maybe I'll get to Antioch on time. Maybe I won't. Maybe things will come to pass the way I want. Maybe they won't. My friend Martha, who died a few years ago, um, said, um, I don't think I'm being uh, very Buddhist about my illness. So, so I said, well, what do you mean, Martha? She said, well, I'm not opening to it, my illness. So I said, Martha, you have pancreas cancer. Who could open to pancreas cancer? Don't worry about it. You're just not supposed to be mad at the illness. She said, well, truth to tell, I think I'm mad at the illness. So I said, well, that's all right. I think you're just supposed to not be mad at yourself for being mad at the illness. (laughs) She said, truth to tell, I am mad at myself for being mad at the illness. And then after a while she said, you know, though, she said, I go around all the time. If I get really stuck in a knot, Yeah, I'm stuck in the knot of thinking, why me? Why me? I'm too young. Why me? It's not fair. And she said, and then all of a sudden I think, why not me? People get pancreas cancer. It's one of the things that people get in the world. She said, I don't feel a bit better about dying. And it doesn't make me any more pleased about dying. But my mind is not tied in the knot. Why not me? Things happen. Everything happens to people. You don't know. What's going to happen to people? A big branch that went of an old, old oak tree fell down from a tree, from an old, old oak tree, fell down across the road, down from where I live. I live in a rural community up in Sonoma County. And I drove out one day and went to do some errands in town. And I drove back a half hour later, and this huge branch was across the road. And some trucks were there with a winch and trying to pull it away. And it clearly had fallen down in the last half hour. And I thought to myself, you know, that oak tree has been standing here at least 100 years. And this branch fell down in the last half hour. I could have been here or I could have been here. But I wasn't here. And all the people who are walking their dogs and bicycling back and forth, they weren't underneath it either. And if they had been underneath it, would have been a really sorry thing for them. But it wouldn't have been, why me? So why not me? They were there when the oak tree, for whatever reason, decided to drop that particular limb. The whole of life is we are where we are and things happen as a result of so many things. One of the things uh, that I'd like for you to be thinking about as we sit now And I'd like to sit in a particular way. I'd like to sit for 20 minutes. That's a little bit past an hour and a half of sitting here. But I'd like us to sit for 20 minutes. And at the end of the 20 minutes, I'll ring the bell. But I'd like for us to then have, oh, 15 minutes. 
20 minutes of walking meditation so that without talking to each other, so we'll have 40 minutes of quiet. And I really want to have a big period of, of cultivating mind discipline. And in that 20 minutes, when you want to, you don't have to do it that second if you're sitting and you're comfortable, when you want to go out and do some walking meditation, for those of you who have never done walking meditation, it's just walking. Walking back and forth and back and forth. It's just walking. It's not adding on stories. Try not to think about tomorrow or yesterday or what good is it doing me walking back and forth. Walking back and forth and just paying attention to walking back and forth is like sitting here and paying attention to breathing in and out. It's giving your mind a rest. It doesn't have to do anything else. All it has to do is put one foot in front of the other or let one breath come in after another. By itself, it cultivates steadiness of mind. And really, in the course of the day, I want to have a period of wise concentration, wise mindfulness, and wise effort, because those are the three middle parts of the path. And that's what we'll practice. So we'll do the disciplined parts throughout the day, the mental discipline. And I'll talk to you about... um, wisdom and ethics the rest of the time. And we'll come back to the sutta and use it for a text. So while you sit, the cultivation of concentration depends on two things. Mostly it depends on steadiness of attention, continuity of attention. as you sit with your feet however they are and your hands however they are feel the room on your body on the parts of your skin that are sticking out. You can feel the coolness. Listen for a little while, if you like, to the sounds in the room (coughs) or the sounds outside. If you want to, whenever you want to, whether to establish some steadiness or to wake yourself up, say those two phrases to yourself. May I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. May I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. You can say them when you want to, let them go when you want to. 
Open your eyes if you feel sleepy. Close them if you feel your body more comfortably that way. In 18 minutes, I'll ring the bell. Whenever you want to, go outside, walk back and forth, have a drink at the water fountain, use the restrooms, all quietly. We'll keep this whole day a retreat. 